we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We have been working our way through this wonderful book uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, a book which, in, in most cases, is one that's kind of uncomfortable, uncomfortable to read. It has some uh, confessions uh, that come from the mouth of this king. King Solomon, as we have identified him as, as he uh, opens this sermon of sorts... As he calls himself the preacher. And he identifies and he articulates and he expresses some things that actually make us sometimes uncomfortable. Hard questions. Harsh realities. Dealing with oppression. Dealing with life that is short. Dealing with death. Dealing with frustration. And yet through it all what Solomon does is he is seeking to find the truth. By describing how things are. So that we might realize, we might be able to look up and know that there is something above it all, through it all, and in it all. And that's really what Solomon is doing. As we've noted before, we've gone through chapters 1 and 2. We've noted how Solomon has been seeking for something abiding. Seeking for something to seek his teeth into, so to speak. Seeking for something that he can rest on. Something that lasts. One writer put it this way, that the Ecclesiastes is really just a logbook of a voyager after truth. Which is, I think, very true. It's a diary of this king searching for truth that lasts. Seeking for peace and joy and meaning that lasts. That's eternal. We've already examined that. In an assortment of ways as we went through chapter 2. And we noted Solomon's terrible search. This terrible search for meaning. We've noted that this world is in flux. It changes. That makes this searching for something that lasts very frustrating. It makes it what it is. A terrible search. Why? Because this world is constantly changing. And that's what leads us here to what we have before us this morning in chapter 3. I think here, throughout this chapter, all 22 verses, I think we find a couple of lessons about what doesn't change in a world defined by change. What can Solomon rely on in a world that's constantly changing? Well, that's what I want to look at this morning. These four things of these four things that do not change in a world that does. And first of all, we have these first eight verses, and we have the first lesson, which is everything changes. Let me read them to you again. It might seem repetitive, but that's sort of the point. Solomon says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. You notice there's uh, 14 different instances, so two sets of seven opposites that Solomon goes through to show us, to uh, reveal to himself, I think, also, this fact. What's one of the things that we can always count on in this life? Change. Things 
change. Life under the sun, as he has been noting, as he has been looking at and examining, is examining, is ruled by change. Change that happens constantly. There's seasons that happen and those seasons end and give way to a new season. There's times and appointments for all of these events in life. And Psalm is relaying this, so to speak, in this eight-verse poem of sorts. Everything changes. Everything has a season. Everything has an appointment, an occasion in which it is to be done. In his pursuit of wisdom, Solomon is coming to grips with that. That there's a rhythm. There's a rhythm to life. There's seasons that occur. The planting and the building, the, the birthing and the dying, the loving and the warring. The, it, it all evidences what? That there is an instability to this life under the sun. As soon as you think that you have found something to rest on and sink your teeth into, it will too change. It will give way to some new season. One commentator, Charles Bridges He writes it in a very profound way and I'll just read what he says about this. He says, everything around us is in perpetual change. What vanity, therefore, is it to seek solid happiness in so shifting a scene? As well might we find rest on the tossing ocean as in a fluctuating world. There is no stable center. All is constant motion. You can see here, this is exactly, precisely what Solomon is coming to realize, coming to grips with. That as he is striving to search for something lasting in a world that changes, that too is futile. Why? Because everything changes. Everything moves to a different time, to a different season. And he's realizing this. He's penning it down so he remembers that it is utterly futile, it's uh, pointless, it's frustration to look for something abiding in a world that is so changing. And I want you to notice too, as you read through these verses, you can just look over them again. You have to see that these times happen to Solomon. As he says there, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. He's indicating that life here is operated by cycles, repetitive cycles, over which we have no real control. And he's using uh, lots of different seasons to indicate that, birthing and dying, all these sorts of things. Just think about it though in your own life. How repetitive a week is. You know, the first thing that comes to mind when I think about how nothing changes is the fact of my kitchen sink, which is constantly filled with dishes. That too is vanity and vexation of spirit. For as much as you get all of those cleaned, you know that once again, they will be dirty again and they will fill your sink again. And when you have company over, you will have to hide them in the dishwasher. The dishes are a vanity. (laughs) Another one, simple one, that just leans into this idea is laundry. How many times does your laundry basket get full and you know that you will have to clean it again? And then what happens? A week later and a week comes and there is a new season, a season for doing dirty laundry. And this happens constantly. For as much as you get them clean, you know that they will get dirty again. It's repetitive. It's a cycle. 
It happens all the time. We cannot get ahead of it. You cannot really control it because if you tried to control it, that would just mean, I guess, buying new clothes every time that they got dirty. Then you wouldn't have to do laundry at all. But think, too, about your weeks. The week as you go to the office, you're striving to get to the weekend. And then Monday comes and the season starts again. There's a new appointment for the next week. A new cycle. There is some frustration in that. Which is the never ending work week. It comes. You have a weekend. A reprieve. And then it comes again. And there is a repetitive cyclical pattern to it. And Solomon is pointing this out. Yes in perhaps more serious ways than laundry and dishes. But he's pointing out that life is just like that. It has seasons to it. Seasons which change. Seasons which he, as even the monarch of Israel, has no control over. Even he has to realize that all of these seasons, he doesn't appoint them. Notice he says that. To everything there is a season. It's really translated. Everything has an appointment. Which, the inference being there, there's one who makes those appointments. There's one who rules over those seasons, who ordains the seasons to come, who ordains the times to be when they are. And that person is not him. You can see Solomon's frustration. (laughs) Realizing that he, the sovereign king, has no ability to control the appointments of life. They too happen without his input. What's one thing he can count on in his life? Everything changes. As soon as he makes an edict to make all things of peace, what will likely happen? A time of war will come about. Solomon realizes this. Do we as well? That the one thing that we can count on in life is that everything changes. But also, what's another thing? Secondly, I want you to look. Jump down to verse 16. The second thing that we can count on in this world that always changes, that does not change, is that everything is upside down. Look at verse 16. And moreover, Solomon says, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. As we've noted before, one of the things that Solomon is coming to grips with was the fracturing of life that happened at Genesis 3 and the fall. That all that was created very good has now been broken and he has turned upside down. And this upside downness, so to speak, is being very clearly seen in the places of justice. As he says there, I saw under the sun the place of judgment. Wickedness sat in its seat and iniquity ruled where righteousness should have. He sees He sees that these God-ordained authorities have, that God-ordained to rule over us for good, have been turned and utterly corrupted. Corrupted them into places of injustice. Solomon will revisit this theme later in the book. It's one that is very much present on his mind. But what he recognizes is even his own inability to change this. 
He's recognizing his inability to turn right side up what has been turned upside down in this world. He cannot make all of the places of judgment wholly righteous. Why? Because sin exists. And as long as sin exists, wickedness will take the place of righteousness. And corruption will take the place of purity. He's realizing for as much as he has control, he doesn't have control to make things right side up. This, I imagine, would be frustrating. But he also notices it in what man lives for. Because notice verses, uh, verse 18. He confesses, I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For what befalleth the sons of men? Befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath. So that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. This sounds like a very depressing text. As Solomon is realizing what is upside down. Notice what he does. He compares human beings to animals. They don't really have a lot of preeminence, he says. Above an animal. Why? Because they all die. They all, as he says in verse 20, all go into one place. All are of the dust. All turn to dust again. Now what he's not saying is this. Solomon is not here trying to promote some sort of low view of mankind. Which is humans are just mammals so it doesn't really matter. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying though. Is that if man is going to live like a beast he has done it himself. That you know what's upside down? Is that man has chosen, chosen the things of this world under the sun as if those were is what is, is eternal. He's chosen the things that God has made to fill him, to, uh, to fulfill him, to be his meaning and purpose. And as long as he does that, he lives no better than a beast. No better than an animal that roams the plains and is abiding by the seasons who lives under the sun. So too is man. If he chooses to say that all that he sees, that's his God. See, he's recognizing the fact that man has crippled himself. Man has exiled himself out of the place that was very good. He has made this ruin of his own accord, of his own choosing. So long as man chooses to live for things that are here. Things that do not last. Things that yes change. He's living upside down. He's living as if he's no better than a beast. No better than an animal. That passes away without notice. Like beasts. Man searches for meaning and purpose and pleasure in things under the sun. And in so doing, he treats his soul as if it's just a commodity. As if it doesn't matter. He treats his soul as if it's expendable. Which is a sad irony he is referring to here. He's articulating the fact that this is a tragic irony. Because why? Verse 11, man was made with eternity in his heart. Man, man is more important than animals. 
But as long as he lives for stuff under the sun, as long as he lives for what he can get for himself in this world that is temporal, trying to seek something that's eternal, he lives no better than an animal in the plains. One Columbia University professor says it that same way. Listen to how sad this view of life would be. He says, there is no reason to suppose that a man's life has any more meaning than the life of the humblest insect that crawls from one annihilation to another. In this professor's mind, he is actually sustaining what Psalm is saying. That there's no difference. Man is no difference than beast. He has nothing to live for. It doesn't matter. And Psalm is saying, yes, if you live for things under the sun. If you only see what is temporal, to try and fill what is eternal, you will be frustrated. You will be hopeless and you will see life as nothing but vanity. You see, without God filling our souls, we live no better than animals. No better than animals that return to dust just like we do. See, the difference The difference is verse 11 again. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart. He has made you, created you and I with an awareness of eternity. With an awareness that we have a soul that exists for all time. And yet. Yet we seek to fill that Eternity inside of us with things that change, with things that don't last. That is the way to live upside down. And such is what man does. This is upside down from how we were created. We were created to exist in perfect harmony with God. And we have chosen to live opposite of that. And this is the fact. The fact that everything is upside down suggests we are in need of someone to turn them up right side up. This is what Solomon is hinting at. He can't do it. Everything is changing. Everything is upside down. He has no ability to change that, to affect that. Someone else is needed to turn them right side up. What's the third thing that doesn't change? Solomon is here looking, yes, for things that don't change in a world that is constantly changing. Everything changes. Everything is upside down. But jump back to verse 9. One that I think a reality that is most frustrating to deal with, which is this. Everything is out of your hands. Notice he says, What profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart. So that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. No man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to a man. No man can find out what God is doing. And this is Solomon's most troubling realization. The most troubling thing that he comes to realize is that man's attempts, his own attempts at controlling all of the times and the seasons, they are utterly pointless. 
He can't change them. He can't affect them. We, can change the, we cannot change the season of life that we are in right here at this moment any more than we can try and change the weather. Some people will like to say that you can, but you can't really. We are powerless to affect change on what season of life we are in. And that is frustrating. Maybe you're in a season of distress. A season, as he says here, of mourning and weeping. A time to cast away stones. A time of losing. It's not a time that we would wish on anyone. And we desire nothing more than that. Then we desire nothing more in this life to control the times, to control the seasons. We would much rather always only encounter those beautiful times. (laughs) And notice though that Solomon realizes... What he has come to realize in his wisdom, in this sort of ability he has to examine all of this. Notice what he says in verse 11 again. He has made everything beautiful in his time. In his way, in his appointments, according to his calendar, this season is beautiful. Can you imagine believing that? We like to think life operates according to our time frames and our schedules and our calendars. And as soon as we do that, we know that something will come along and upset that and ruin that. Ruined plans and ruined seasons. Why? Because life operates according to someone else's appointments. It operates according to God's calendar. Such is why everything is beautiful in his timing. Which is not always necessarily what we would deem good timing. (laughs) You see here Solomon is saying that seasons of weeping are just as significant and important as seasons of laughter. Because God has appointed them. God has allowed them to be for a specific purpose and reason to find meaning in. It's hard to see in our current season of just fear and paranoia. Our current season of just frustration. You can look back on all the months of 2020 and yes, come away with the same conclusion that all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It makes us pine away. Long and pray for different times. I'll confess to praying the same thing. Lord, just make this go away. I want a new season. (laughs) I don't like this season of life. Solomon's wise reminder though. Is one that speaks to me so profoundly. Is that this. We cannot decide or determine the times that we are in. And that's actually really good news. Because that's not our job. It's someone else's job. You know, I've used this illustration before, but I'm going to hasten to use it again because to me it's so meaningful and impactful. It comes from my most beloved books other than the Bible. J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. If you're familiar with them, they have a lot of meaning to me. I love reading them. But at one point in the story, you know, there's this magic ring that can control the world. You don't have to like fantasies to know the story. 
But there's one character who, is, who has been entrusted with destroying this ring. It presents a great burden on his life. And he confesses to his friend. I wish, I wish it need not have happened in my time, he says. He's confessing the fact that I think we all would say we've confessed the same thing. I wish this didn't happen in my lifetime. Why did finding this ring, why did this pandemic, why did this season of injustice and fear happen in my lifetime? I wish it didn't happen now. I wish I could go back to the 80s. That seems like a great decade. I wish I could go back to the 50s. You get the point. He's wishing for a different season. I wish it need not happened in my time, he says. And then listen to what his friend says. So do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. This is not a sermon that is given in the Lord of the Rings. But in a way that it is. We don't get to decide the times that we are in. You didn't get to decide that you had to live through COVID-19. But guess what? That's not for you to decide. All that you have to decide is what to do with this time that you have been given. Everything is out of your hands. You cannot control the times and the seasons, the shifting patterns, the changing cycles. All that you have to decide, all that is your job, is to be faithful in this time. To be faithful in this season. The season that is right in front of you. This present life. Notice he says that, verse 12. I know that there is no good in them. No good in trying to resist these seasons. But for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. It is God's gift to you and to me that we would be made to enjoy this present. Yes, to count it beautiful too. As much frustration as we have perhaps felt. He is saying that we have been called by God to live through this time. And it is a gift. No matter how frustrating you might think it is. It's God's gift to you and I. All that we have to do is to tend to what we've been given. To make the best use of this present time. The same commentator, Charles Bridges, he writes this so profoundly. It is evidently, therefore, the path of wisdom to make the best use of the present, not perplexing ourselves with that which we cannot alter. I read that and I read myself. (laughs) How many times have I perplexed myself over things that I have no ability to change? I don't have any ability to change (laughs) What's going on with our state, what's going on with our nation, what's going on with the world. And yet, we perplex ourselves over those things that we have no ability to alter. And what is Solomon saying? Be faithful with what's in front of you. 
All of everything else, it's out of your hands. It's out of your control. And guess what? It's not your job to control it. Your job is to decide what, is, what you are going to do with the time that has been given to you. Because we don't know the ends from the beginnings. Verse 11 again. We don't know the ends that God has already ordained and orchestrated and seen fit to bring about. What doesn't change in a world that does? Everything changes. Everything is upside down. Everything is out of your hands. And the last thing I want you to notice. The last thing that doesn't change in a world that does. Is that everything is in his hands. Notice verse 14. I know. That whatsoever God doeth. It shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it. Nor anything be taken from it. And God doeth it. That men should fear before him. This is the startling realization that he comes to. That no matter what, everything is in his hands. Is in the God that has ordained all of these times. You know, this is one of the frustrating things about this book. Is Ecclesiastes, it presents this problem. This problem of frustration. Of not being able to control the seasons. And it doesn't really offer sort of a secret formula or code. In which we can determine what to do. I wish there was. I wish there was like a secret like six step process that we could go through and figure out which season of life we're in. Oh, we're in a season to kill. (laughs) Then we would know what to do. At least that's the way we think. Solomon doesn't really give you that. What he does get you to realize... Which is, I think, a very good thing to come to grips with is this. Is that there is one who does know the times. There is one who has made the times and appointed them to their appropriate time. And he's ruling over them right now. And his name is Jesus Christ. The king and the creator of all things. The Lord and the savior. The one who is still on his throne. And he's saying this. I know that whatsoever he does. That lasts Forever, Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away for it. It does not change. You know what doesn't change in a world that does? What God asks and performs to do. What God has appointed to happen. That doesn't change. You can count on that. You can count on God's sovereignty in and over all of these times and seasons. Whatever God has appointed to come about, you can be sure that it will come about. Notice verse 15. That which has been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. There's a, actually, in verse 15, that last phrase, God requireth that which is past, is, is a troublesome phrase to translate. But actually better read something like this. That God seeks that which is pursued. Or we could say this way. God is attentive to every little thing. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing is outside the realm of his attention. Nothing is outside his peripheral vision. He sees it all, knows it all, notices every little minuscule event. 
He is in all of these times. This is the reference to his involvement in our seasons. Notice again, look at all these verses. Look at verse 10 where it says, God hath given. In verse 11, God maketh from the beginning to the end. In verse 14, it says, God doeth and God doeth it. God, verse 15, God requireth. Verse 17, God shall judge. Notice, this is God's overworking all of the seasons that we are in. His fingerprints are all over our times. He's orchestrating them. Ruling over them. This is what doesn't change in a world that does. And the beauty of life comes when you recognize, when you can confess what Solomon confesses. Actually, what his dad confessed. Is that my times are in God's hands. Listen to this verse. Psalm 31 verse 15. It's a psalm of David and he says that very thing. Psalm 31 15. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. See, Solomon, I think, is coming to a very, yes, perhaps complex and complicated realization of the same thing that David confessed. Which is that, that there's one who is ruling over the times, and it's not him, it's the God who made him. It's the God who rules over him. Solomon realized this. Perhaps you're coming to grips with the same thing. Realizing that you cannot control the times. You go on your social media feed and you see the same things that you saw yesterday. Or we're still learning about the same things that we were supposed to be learning about in March. (laughs) We've really not progressed anywhere. See, I think life here under the sun, Solomon realized... Is actually a really extended lesson in learning how to be still and know that God is there. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. That's an easy verse to, uh, to spout off, but it's a harder verse to put into practice. How do you be still in these times? You know. You can be still by recognizing That there is one in whose times he has in his hands. Whose words affect change on all of the seasons that we endure. Who are the one who is sovereign over every appointment and thing that we go through. And this is the great realization. Is that regardless of what season you're in. Maybe you're reading those first eight verses and you're finding yourself in one of those times. No matter what one you find yourself in, Jesus is sitting in there with you. You have a God who puts his fingerprints in all of our times and he comes to sit with us. And yes, sometimes it's sitting with us in the ashes of weeping and mourning and when we're frustrated. And sometimes he's sitting with us in joy and laughter. But regardless of the season of life we are enduring, Jesus is with us in that season. 
That is what you can count on in a world that seems to always be in flux. That's what doesn't change in a world that does. So there is one who rules over the times and he is sitting here with you. And this is how we can be confident in facing the days ahead. Notice verse 17 where he says, I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every purpose and for every work. And jump down to verse 22. Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his own works. For that is his portion. For who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? See what he's realizing? Is that... There will come a day. There has already been an appointed season where justice will be served. Where broken things will be mended back together. Where dead things will rise up out of the graves in resurrection. Where tears will be wiped away. It's all been appointed by the one who is the great appointer of all the times. And in that we can be still. In that we can rest. Because that's what doesn't change in a world that does. It's God, the unchangeable one. The one who rules over all the seasons. The one who doesn't change. The one who is, as it says in Hebrews chapter 13, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Let us pray.